and welcome aboard. Seth Goldberg here with you on another episode of A Show to Be Named Later. Thanks for finding us on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Following me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 and on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. Really excited about today's episode. We've got Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. He does uh, a little bit of everything. He does college basketball, including the NCAA tournament. He does golf. He does the NFL. He does the Bills in the preseason. So uh, really excited to talk to Andrew. We'll talk a lot about golf. We'll talk a little bit about the NCAA tournament and uh, who he liked coming out of this year's NBA draft. So we'll we'll get to a lot there with Andrew. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the story that I found most interesting this week. This, this weird... Ray's thing that's going on and some thoughts on the NBA draft. Plenty to get to here on a show to be named later, but let's start with Andrew Catalog from CBS Sports, play-by-play announcer for the NFL, this college basketball, the NCAA tournament, and golf on CBS. And now, as promised from CBS Sports, play-by-play announcer Andrew Catalan, an SU grad as well. And Andrew, I, I want to start with you with what you did most recently, and that was calling the PGA Championship and the Masters. Um, little change in the in the schedule this year. I'm curious how you felt about that. Let's start with the very basic. PGA Championship got moved. Normally, it's like right before football season. It's the end of the summer. Now it's you know before Memorial Day. That must have been a little strange, a little different. Yeah, you know, I love it, Seth. I think it just makes sense for the golf calendar. Now you have one major April, May, June, July. The playoffs now will end earlier. They'll finish before football starts, which I think is a big plus for the PGA Tour. And, you know, I think one of the biggest concerns that the PGA and golf fans had with the PGA Championship moving to May was, will that take away parts of the country that normally host the PGA Championship. Will they be ready in the Northeast to have a major championship, you know, in May when you could have 50 degrees, you could have 70 degrees? So I thought it was a great sign that Beth Page Black uh, was so well prepared for the championship in May. And it wasn't a very good early spring either. I mean, there was a lot of rain, it was cold, but I thought they did a great job. And, and that was a big thing for me because I would hate to see the Northeast especially lose some of these golf courses to the because the PGA Championship is in May. I don't think that's going to be the case. So I love it. I think it sets up other parts of the country that now you can go to in May. Uh, maybe some of the warmer places that you would not go to in August, now you can so I thought it was a win-win all around. It's funny you mention that as a concern because the weather was better at Beth Page Black than it was at Pebble Beach over the weekend for the U.S. Open. No question. And I think, you know, you look at some of the, the courses that have been in the rotation for the PGA Championship. You've got Baltusrol in New Jersey. You've got Oak Hill in Rochester. And you're thinking, well, what is that going to mean moving forward? I think Beth Page showed that you can definitely do it. And yeah, I mean, Pebble Beach, you're going to have the, the 20 mile an hour winds and the 50 degree temperatures. And, and obviously that was a great championship as well. So I, I just think all around, it's a great thing for golf. You know, I want to ask you one thing about the U.S. Open with Brooks Kepka winning the PGA and back-to-back there, and he had one two in a row at the U.S. Open. Were you almost surprised, given how he had been playing, that he didn't go win the U.S. Open and, and he made that charge, but it wasn't quite enough? Yeah, I think the way that he's been playing, especially in majors, and, and the way he was closing in on Sunday against Gary Woodland, you had that feeling like, here we go again. This guy is going to do it again. Uh, credit to Woodland. You know, he's never really been in that spot. 
Um, you know, a lot of pressure, all eyes on him. And he's a tough guy. He's a tough American from Kansas. And, and I thought he really showed up well on Sunday because that was very easily could have gotten away and Kepka could have taken that momentum. But, but Woodland really had some big answers. We know about the big three Woody hit at the par five the chip on the 17th green. And those were all little testing points that, you know, if those shots didn't turn out well, you could have had a playoff or you could have had Kepka maybe surging ahead. So uh, Kepka played great. I mean, to do what he did, you know, back-to-back U.S. Opens and then on the verge of a third and to, and to show up so well, you take nothing away from him. But in this instance, my takeaway is that Gary Woodland went out there on Sunday and won the U.S. Open to his credit. We'll certainly get into uh, some of the the looks at the NCAA tournament from your perspective, but you were at the Masters, and I think one of the really cool things that you were doing is you were doing the the online uh, broadcast, and with that, it means that you know you follow specific groups, and that means Tiger Woods uh, for the most part. Uh, Tiger, of course, wins. What was that like calling that round and and watching that unfold? Uh, you know, he finally kind of got back to the top, won the Masters again, and and um, you know looked pretty cool on TV. But for you, what was that like? It's it's hard to compare it to anything else I've witnessed, either as a broadcaster or a fan. It was just so historic. And, and what we were watching, I mean, you know, on the main CBS broadcast, Jim Nance and Nick Faldo laid out. They didn't talk for about three minutes. And me and my partner, Billy Kratzer, on the feature group coverage, we did the exact same thing. And part of you as a broadcaster, as you know, it's like, okay, you're taught to lay out, let the moment breathe, let's kind of enjoy this. And that was certainly in my mind. But the other part of my mind was, I'm I'm just so taken aback by this moment that I want to watch it and I have nothing to add right now. I mean, I was just speechless watching him walk out with his kids and celebrating the way he did with his with the fans. And it was an unbelievable moment, one that many people thought we'd never see again, and that's certainly plays a part as to why it was so historic. But I mean, you know, most people, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of people thought Tiger Woods would never win a golf tournament again, let alone the Masters and a major. So it was just such a special moment. And, you know, we laid out on our broadcast because I I was just fascinated watching it. I had nothing to say because I was, my jaw was halfway down to the ground as well. So it was incredible. Uh, Certainly a moment that all sports fans will never forget. So, you know, whether we're watching with you guys on the featured group or, as you mentioned, with Jim Nance on on the main broadcast, Augusta National is one of those places that um, just looks amazing. Even, like, for me, somebody who's not, like, the biggest golf fan in the world, I'm I'm in awe of it every time I see it. So pull back the curtain for us. Is it that awesome in person? Is it better in person? What's it like? I'd say better. Um, You know, what's strange about it is that you drive in on a road that, I don't know, could be Erie Boulevard in Syracuse. It's not like you're in some winding, you know, beautiful road. It's just, you know, you're in the middle of Augusta and there's chain restaurants and gas stations and it's nothing special. And then when you get inside these gates, you feel like you're in a different world. It's it's, it's truly the the way that they pay attention to every little detail is, is, is unbelievable. There's no piece of grass out of place. Uh, If you're in a restaurant there, your lemonade is halfway down. It's immediately filled up. I mean, that doesn't even talk about really the actual golf, which is unbelievable and amazing all on its own. So it's certainly a bucket list item for anyone, even if you're not a huge golf fan, just a sports fan needs to try to experience that. And what I tell everyone is, 
you know, if you have your choice, the best thing to do is go to a practice round even. Um, you know, when you're there in the practice rounds, you can really walk around a little bit more. You can take some pictures and, you know, you, you get a really good feel for the course. It's a little different once the tournament begins to, 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 uh, to follow that. So I think if there's any way, if, if everyone's on the fence, this is something that you need to jump over the fence and do. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable place. Yeah, uh, certainly on my bucket list. Uh, that That's one of those uh, events that's on the list for me, for sure. Um, another event that you do that is uh, totally and completely different is the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm going to start off with this very basic question. It might be media nerdy, um, but you find out your, your site for that first weekend, what, like Sunday night, and you've got eight teams to get ready for. How crazy is that week? How crazy is that day when you've got four games in, you know, 12 to 14 hours? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you sit around on Selection Sunday and you wait just like, you know, those bubble teams waiting to see where they're going to go, if they're going to go. And, um, you know, the bracket shows at uh, 6 o'clock and then around 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, you're handed an assignment that says you're going to Salt Lake City. And you look at your matchups and that's when I have my fingers crossed and hope that I've seen at least one or two of these teams in person during the regular season because that makes my job so much easier to have some type of, you know, basis that I can go off of, some old notes that I can pull out. Even if I had them the previous year, that'll help me out a little bit because there's not a ton of turnover uh, from year to year. So, you know, that's kind of my thought process. I get the call at 730, 8 o'clock at night, then I immediately have to book travel because that's, you know, you're talking about booking a flight when, when the rest of the country is booking flights too as soon as they find out. So that's important. And then, you know, I'm, if you have a, a Thursday, Saturday site, you have to be in your location Tuesday because Wednesday is the practice day when all eight teams practice. And that was certainly, that was the case for me this year in Salt Lake city. So, you know, I got the call Sunday night and Tuesday morning I was on a flight to Salt Lake city. So basically I had, you know, before I left for the site one day and in, in a late night Sunday uh, to prepare for eight teams. So it's crazy. It's wild. It, 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 it's, it's very different than preparing for a regular season game when you have three to four days to prepare for one game. It's just trying to get the basics down, building your charts, and, and then watching some video for me so I can kind of see, you know, trying to put some guys' uh, numbers in my mind, see the see their numbers, see what, how they play, see what they look like to help me out for the game. So it's a wild week. It's an unbelievable week. I mean, it's, it's I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's certainly a, a cram time uh, session no matter which which day you uh, broadcast your first four games on. Yeah, you know, you, and, and you've had a couple of really awesome moments in, in the years you've called the the NCAA tournament. I, the one I remember is R.J. Hunter and, and the, the buzzer beater, um, also Northwestern. Is there another one that sticks out to you? Is it one of those two that sticks out the most? R.J. Hunter was definitely the top one. That's when his dad was the coach, and he had ripped up his leg the week before, and he was on a stool, and he fell off as his son made the three. I mean, that, that is one that... It's certainly one of my most fondest memories as a broadcaster. Yeah, you know, the Northwestern thing was nuts. Um, you know, they, they had you know never been to the, the to the tournament. They had not won it a game, and then they did that with a crazy crowd. That was also in Salt Lake, coincidentally. And, you know, honestly, personally, um, even though they didn't win, and not that I was rooting for them, doing Syracuse this year was, was a neat thing for me. Obviously, I have a Don to SU, um, being able to give the WAER guys a little shout-out during the broadcast, which is, as you know, where I 
kind of grew up going to WAER. And, and again, not that I'm rooting for Syracuse and, and certainly I didn't even win the game, but that was all, that was really a neat personal thing for me to be on the call for the, for Syracuse as the first time I'd had them uh, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, and I, I know that uh, we talked a little bit uh, before and after that, and I know that was a, a really cool moment. Um, want to ask uh, as kind of a wrap up thing here, Andrew? You know, you see a lot of college basketball over the the course of a season. Um, NBA draft last night. Who's a guy that stood out to you uh, that you saw over the course of the year that that you really liked his game and and you think might go on to you know have a pretty pretty nice career at the next level? You know, I, I had Gonzaga in the tournament, and Hachimura is a really interesting guy. I mean, I, I had them in 2017 when he was a freshman. He barely played. He didn't speak any English. And Mark Few was like, hey, by the way, he won't play unless we win by, like, 40, but, like, this guy's going to be good one day. And I'm like, really? Like, he doesn't speak English? He doesn't even play? Nope, nope, doesn't. We have to do all these different things to teach him the plays. And, uh, you know, he's, he can't get into this rotation, but down the road he's going to be really good. And Mark Few was absolutely right. He's now a lottery pick. And um, I think there's a lot of questions about him. They're fair. I think he needs to improve his shot. But he's such a hard worker. He's so athletic. And it just means so much to him to, to be from Japan. No Japan player had ever been drafted. And I think he's going to really carry that torch well. So I'm really curious to see how he does. Um, he's a really great kid. He comes from a tremendous program and an amazing coach in Mark Few. So I'm fascinated to watch Hachimura here uh, as he begins his NBA career. Yeah, and really cool to see him get drafted uh, top 10 in, in the NBA draft last night. Andrew, thanks so much. Uh, I know we were talking before. Glad we were finally uh, able to make this work and, and have you on. And uh, I'm sure we'll try and call you up during the NFL season or the college basketball season and do it again. would love that, Seth. Keep up the good work. So thanks again to Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. See him on the NFL on CBS College Basketball, the NCAA Tournament, Golf, if you're in Upstate New York, Central New York, you probably have heard him on the Buffalo Bills preseason games as well. Uh, But let's move on. Let's talk about last night's NBA draft. Just a couple of thoughts here before I get to what I think is the the strangest story I've seen in a little while and, and kind of trying to decipher that. But with the NBA draft... I look at last night and I look at the inordinate number of trades, the the just the the movement of picks and and the ability and the willingness really to swap picks so much. Um, it's kind of surprising. It's not something that you normally see. I, I saw a tweet last night. Thirty one of the last forty one picks were moved at least once. That's a lot. That is a lot more than normal. And the overwhelming thought for me was, wow, look at how many teams are trying to create cap space. Or, wow, look at how many teams who have limited cap space are trying to get young, controllable, cheap assets. Right? If you're the Brooklyn Nets, you are trying to get off of that first round pick to save the money to go make two max slots for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Presumably, that's what you are trying to do. If you're the Los Angeles Lakers, on the other hand, and you already have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and you're hoping to sign a couple of more big money free agents, you're hoping to pick up second round picks because they are cheap, controllable assets. So I find it really interesting what was happening last night, and I can't remember another time in the NBA where we've seen player and draft pick movement quite like that. It's different. 
It's a different time in the NBA. They're trying to just go for the transaction. The NBA is about the offseason right now. And maybe this year more so than any other because it seems like the league is open. And while I don't mind what the Warriors were doing, while I enjoyed what the Warriors did over the last couple of years, it does feel like the league is going to be more wide open this coming season given the injuries to the Golden State Warriors. And so teams see their opening. The Lakers see their opportunity to go out and create a more formidable team and put something together. The Nets see their opportunity. The Raptors hope to keep Kawhi Leonard. You can see teams around the league saying to themselves, hey, we can do something here. We can make something of this. And I think that's what you saw last night with the draft. You saw teams either trying to get off of salary, trying to trade those draft picks, and get rid of the money attached to the first round, or get rid of the money attached to to players by trading assets. And you saw teams that are already locked up and have their cap space full. You saw those teams trying to get cheap, young, controllable players. It's a fascinating time. And like I said, I don't know that I've seen something like that. I can't remember seeing this much movement in a single draft that way. Teams are going to shoot their shot. Teams are going to take their chance because they see that for the first time in five years, and I think you can go back even further than that because let's be honest, the league wasn't all that wide open when it was the Spurs and the Heat. So what, for the first time in maybe nine years, the league really looks open for the taking? The league really feels available for a team to come out of nowhere and go win? Yeah. Other teams around the league are going to take advantage of that. And like I said, I did want to wrap up the podcast with maybe one of the stranger sports stories that I've seen in a little while. One of the kind of weirder things I've seen in sports in a little while. And that is the report from the Tampa Bay Times and ESPN on Thursday about the Tampa Bay Rays. The report that they could be looking at playing in both Montreal and Tampa Bay. Now, this is a a hilarious idea, to me at least. A hilarious idea. Because I, I just don't see how it's possible. And you started to see that a little bit later in the day, a little bit later in the night, after people had the opportunity to go and ask players about this. And players were just kind of like, yeah, I don't really get it. How would we live? Where would we live? Do we have to rent places in both cities? And how would this work? Realistically, it's not feasible. I think that's the right word for this. It's just not possible, realistically. And zeroing in on my favorite part of Jeff Passan's report, zeroing in on something very specific, Jeff wrote, that the hope for Tampa, or the Rays, I should say at this point, the hope for the Rays is that they would play in new stadiums in both Montreal and Tampa. Now let's just take a step back for a second. I'm not a Tampa Bay Rays fan. I am a baseball fan. And I've been watching enough games at Tropicana Field over the years to know that it's a terrible stadium. 
And I follow baseball closely enough to know that the Rays have been trying to find a new stadium, trying to find an alternative, and they've been struggling to do it. They haven't been able to find the funding, to find the right site to go build a new stadium. But now, but now, telling the city of Tampa and the area there that you are only going to play 40 games instead of 81, now that, that is what's going to get you a new stadium. I just, I love the thinking here. How in the world would you think that's realistic? And I guess when you see some reports that they would consider not building a, a domed stadium or a retractable roof stadium because you're playing in cooler months and you're not playing in the hot summer months and it might knock the cost down by three to $400 million. And maybe that's a little bit more palatable for taxpayers to help out with. I guess that makes sense. But realistically, why would, why? Why would the taxpayers go for it? Why would the community go for it? That doesn't make all that much sense to me. Now, if you take a step back for a second, this is really a look at something else. At least it is to me. To me, this is the first step towards actually relocating. This is the first step towards the Tampa Bay Rays actually going and moving to Montreal or somewhere else, wherever it may be. Look back at the Montreal Expos. In 2003, they were allowed to split their home games, air quote. They played about 20-ish games in Puerto Rico. So they still played about 60 games in Montreal, but they played about 20 games in Puerto Rico. Two years later, they were gone. Now, at that point, they probably knew that they were gone already. I don't remember the exact timeline there. But if they didn't know, it was pretty darn close. Two years later, they were playing somewhere else. To me, what this report was yesterday was two things. It was a leverage play, one on the city of Tampa. But it was also a, a shot to Montreal saying, hey, if you really want baseball back, if you really want a team back in Montreal, get that stadium built. Get that stadium built. Because not only is there the possibility of getting 40 games from July through the end of the season, or however they would make that work, not only is there that possibility, but there's the possibility that you get that team full-time when you have a new stadium and Tampa doesn't. So that's how I read that report. It was a shot to two people, a shot to Tampa saying, hey, get your stuff in order. Let's try and get a stadium done there. But it was also a sign to Montreal saying, hey, if you can get a stadium done, if you can get a stadium built, baseball will come. It's like Field of Dreams. It really is. If you build it, they will come. Montreal, if you get a stadium built, if you put shovels in the ground and you get working on this, we'll get you a team. At least that's how I read that yesterday. Because it's not viable. It's not feasible. It's not realistic to go ahead and say, hey, we're going to play 40 home games in one city and 40 home games in another. That idea is laughable. But it is very possible to say, hey, build that stadium. And when it's done in five years or four years or however long it takes, we'll show up. 
We'll play. We'll be your team. But get us that stadium. And that's what I think the real sign was of yesterday's report. Get us a stadium. We'll show up. So that does it on today's episode of A Show to Be Named Later. Thanks again to Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Again, you hear him on the NFL on CBS, college basketball, uh, the NCAA tournament, golf with the Masters and the PGA Championship. And if you're in central New York, you probably heard him on the Buffalo Bills television network during the NFL preseason as well. Uh, Thank you to you for listening, for finding us here on a show to be named later. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Many ways to listen to the show. Also follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17 on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. And don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast feed. Get these delivered straight to your phone each and every time. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you again next week here on a show to be named later.